everyone hear me? Yeah! Woo! Can you hear me right now? Uh, no, no louder. No louder. That's my baseline. I don't know. Right here? Right here? Right here? Amen, amen. Alright, I want everyone to take a second. Okay. And imagine a soccer game going on, alright? Yeah. Little kids are running around, kicking some goals. Do you see it? Yeah. yeah. Go! Don't look up in the sky. Parachutes, airplanes, helicopters. Alright, you got it all out of your system now? No. Alright, let's pay attention. Amen. Can everyone hear me? We're going to get into the Word of God, and this Bible study is going to be good for all of us. Amen? The title of our message this morning is out of Matthew chapter 20. And it's a passage that's always kind of thrown me through a loop. No matter how many times I read it, I still get a little mystified by it. And the title of our message is, A Mother's Request. I didn't get very creative, I just stole it from the NIV title right there. And this passage is not a very creative passage. I don't have creative points, I don't have a bunch of creative illustrations. We're just going to get all all of our our meal this morning from the Word of God itself. Amen? Let's hope that my stuff doesn't blow away. One moment while I get settled. Amen. I want to look at this passage today because I believe that not all of us fully understand this passage. And yet this is a passage that really is going to change your life. And I believe that every word of God, if we fully understand it, has the ability to change your life. Yeah, bro, come on. And so we're going to dig in, and I hope that you're ready to take notes and learn from the word of God today. Come on. In Matthew chapter 20, we read a very important passage in the ministry of Jesus. And it starts off here in verse 20. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons and kneeling down, asked a favor of him. What is it you want? He asked. She said, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. You don't know what you are asking. Jesus said to them, Can you drink the cup? I'm going to drink. We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, You will indeed drink from my cup, but to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my Father. When the ten heard heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers. Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. We had to read the whole passage because the first part is pretty cool, but it kind of spices things up a little bit to know that all the rest of the apostles got an attitude with the two brothers. Now notice that the mother is of Zebedee's sons. 
Now we know that name Zebedee. Mm -hmm. Because in Mark chapter 1, Jesus calls the sons of Zebedee out of the boat. And in Mark chapter 3, he appoints them apostles and calls them the sons of thunder. So what we learn about this is that this woman is not just some random woman. She is the mother of two apostles. Her husband is either back in the boats or more than likely he's dead at this point. And she has a very close relationship with her sons and a very bold but also close relationship with Jesus. And what she does here exposes not just her sons, but exposes the rest of the 12. Isn't it amazing that when leaders start to raise up in the church, it doesn't just expose their strengths, but it also exposes the weaknesses of them or those around them. And this was an opportunity for Jesus not to just disciple the mother, not to just disciple the sons, but to send a message to all of those who follow him. I love this passage, and it always kind of blows me away that Jesus never said no. Isn't that amazing? Sometimes we don't ask Jesus things because we're afraid he's going to say no. Sometimes he doesn't say no. Now, he didn't say yes either. But he didn't say no. He left the door open. He says, you can request whatever you want. I'm not saying I'm going to give you everything you want. But you can ask for whatever you want. You know that Mama Zebedee here. You know she didn't get any advice about this conversation. I mean, you know that she did not go to Jesus' mother or the mother of some of the other guys and say, Hey, so I have this request for Jesus. I want to see if my sons could potentially sit at his right and his left. How would you approach the situation? I mean, she just wakes up one morning, grabs her two boys out of bed and says, we're going to go have a conversation with Jesus. Now she gets on her knees, okay? She's, she shows some humility right here. But she gets on her knees. She's, she's showing some reverence to Jesus. And she says, you see my two boys? I want them to sit at your right and your left. And Jesus doesn't respond to the mom. Jesus responds to them. I mean, she knows that this is not just coming from mom. She, he kind of looks back at the boys. He goes, can you guys drink the cup? Can you handle what your mom is asking of you right now? And of course, boldly, they go, yes. Yeah, Jesus, we, of course. We wouldn't have sent her if we didn't know we could handle the cup. You know, Jesus had been teaching all along, ask and you shall receive. He had been teaching all along, if you do what God wants you to do, God will do what you want him to do. And so this is only a response to that. This is a mother's request to challenge the promises of God. That she would get what she wanted. Jesus' response left the door open. You know, in high school, I was, a, I was a good basketball player, but I wasn't a great basketball player. My freshman year, there were two freshman basketball teams, and I didn't make, make either one of them. So I told the coach, hey, I'm willing to be the scorekeeper. So I became the scorekeeper. Game days, I dressed up like the rest of the team. I went to all the practices, and while they were getting yelled at by the coach, I was shooting hoops on the side. I was, I was doing whatever it took to be around the basketball team. My sophomore year, I, I made the JV team, but just barely. And my junior year, we all tried out for the varsity, but I got cut. 
So I went out and I joined this other basketball league and played with a bunch of freshmen and sophomores. And I averaged 13 blocks a game because I was about this tall and they were about this tall. But then my senior year, I got up some of the strength and courage to go to the varsity tryouts. I hadn't made it my freshman year, my sophomore year, my junior year, but this is going to be my year. And I remember the very first tryout, we were playing a scrimmage, and I came down, and I was just ball-hogging it, and I had three three-pointers in a row. I got a steal, came down, hit a fourth in a row. Got another steal, came down, and hit a fifth in a row. I said, surely the coach is watching me now. <laughs> After the tryout, the coach pulled all the players into the locker room, and one by one, brought us into his office, and we had a talk about whether we made the team or not. I was one of the last guys to go, and when I go into the office, the coach says, you know, Joel, I really admire your hard work. I see your dedication, and I want you on my basketball team. But you've got to understand, the rest of the team is a lot better than you. And so I would like you to join the team as a practice player. And I will, in, a, in essence, make you 13th man. And there's a chance you may play at the end of some games when we're blowing the other teams out. So if you can agree to that, you can play on the varsity team. I said, absolutely. <laughs> the season started. I played very hard. I worked my way up from 13th man to 6th man. Coming up. I was playing about 15 minutes a game. But the coach would not give me a starting spot. And my mom, she came to one of the games early. And she said, Coach Wilcox, my son works very hard. He is your best player. And he deserves a starting position on the basketball team. You need to let him be first string. That's a lie. She never said that. But she wanted to. And when I found out that she was going to have that conversation with the coach, I shut it down. I said, Mom, you are not going to talk to my coach like that. I don't want you to make any requests. If I get a spot on the, on the starting string, I want to earn it. I shut it down. James and John didn't shut it down. <laughs> they knew what Mama was going to do that morning. They knew the conversation that Mom was going to have with Jesus. Come on, bro. And they didn't shut it down. There was something inside of them that wanted to be great, that wanted to do great, that wanted to sit at the right and the left hand of Jesus. And they didn't stop their mom. You know, after reading this story, you kind of understand why Jesus in Mark 3 calls them the sons of thunder. You kind of see where they get the thunder from. You know, we do have a debt to our families for how they raise us and who they, who they raise us to become. It's true. And we need to have a profound respect for the men and the women that we become in thanks to the family that God has provided to us at a young age. But either way, whether this is a a story to James and John or to Simon and Andrew or to one of the other apostles that you couldn't even name right now. 
This was a lesson for all of the apostles to want to be great. You know, Jesus wants us to be ambitious. Yes. But even more than that, he wants us to want to be great. Yeah. And the question comes, can you drink the cup? Can you drink the cup? Now, this could be the cup of persecution. Most people would say that it is. There are a lot of sermons out there that get creative and give you different kinds of cups. We're going to stick to the scriptures this morning and talk about three cups that Jesus makes very plain we need to be willing to drink if we're going to follow him and be great disciples. You know, the first one comes from the end of the passage. As Jesus says in verse 28, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. The first cup that we need to drink as disciples is the cup of responsibility. Come on, bro. Look over in Romans chapter 1. You know, Paul grew up Jewish, an expert in the law, becomes a Christian in Acts chapter 9, and immediately felt a debt to all of those around him. And he writes in Romans chapter 1 and verse 14, he says, I am obligated both to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. That is why I'm so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome. Yeah. You see, Paul felt obligated, not to God, yeah. but to man, to preach the gospel. Mm-hmm. And you go, well, Paul, it's unspiritual. We need to only be out to be obligated to God. And yet we see his heart right here for yeah. people. Yeah. And that he had a desire to preach to people, for people, because of people. This is a man with a deep love and compassion and a desire and responsibility to evangelize the lost world that surrounded him. Do you have a pit in your stomach when you're surrounded by the lost? You see, Paul did. Paul felt anguish day and night. He had sleepless nights. The Bible says that he felt pressure of the concern for all the churches in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Can you drink the cup of responsibility? I believe in this quote. The world is the way the world is because the church is the way the church is. Now, when I said the world is the way the world is, you didn't get a sense of joy and awesomeness from the world and the news. You got a sense of darkness and lostness from the world that surrounds us. Why is the world the way the world is? Because the church is the way the church is. We are not preaching the gospel the way that Christians ought to preach the gospel. You think the world would look the way it is if Jesus Christ himself had been alive and preaching over all these years? You think he wouldn't have made an impact by now? The world is the way the world is because the church is the way the church is. Paul continues in verse 16. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone 
Who believes? Yeah. You see, Paul took full responsibility yeah. for preaching the gospel to man, to woman, to high, to low, to old, to young, mm -hmm. to foolish, to wise. Mm -hmm. He took full responsibility to preach to all kinds of people because he understood the power that lay in the gospel. And of course, as the church, we have the gospel. Mm -hmm. We have the power of God. If only we would preach it the way on, that we should. Yes. We need to take Absolutely. responsibility. You know, whenever you raise up a new Bible talk leader in the church, you always kind of wonder how long it's going to take for them to start to feel that sort of responsibility. Mm -hmm. You know, for a while, they kind of want to be held by the hand and told what to do and told what to do their discussions on and, you know, told... Uh, you know, steps A through Z in order to really make their Bible talk successful. And you wonder, how long is it going to take for this leader to really take responsibility mm -hmm. for his charge given to him by God? Mm -hmm. And I've just been so proud of a dear brother to all of us, Anthony Melbrick. Yeah. Yeah. Because when Anthony moved here, he was a fall away. He had left the Lord. He had abandoned God in his heart. Yeah. And he came here for restoration. Yeah. And he came and immediately started giving his heart. Mm -hmm. He got restored in his heart. Mm -hmm. And then he started getting dreams and vision for how God could use him in the kingdom. Yeah. And just a couple months ago, he became a Bible talk leader at the University of Washington. Yeah. Yeah. And I was so impressed. I was so impressed by his heart to immediately just take responsibility. Yeah. for the University of Washington yes. and go after leading a Bible talk, which of course is not just the discussion that lasts for 15-20 minutes, yeah. mm -hmm. but it's the responsibility of the souls yeah. to be evangelistic, yeah. to yes. go out and meet new people, and to build God's kingdom. Yeah. Amen. There's not a week that goes by that Anthony doesn't reach out to me, ask to hang out, seeking advice, looking for direction. He wants to see great things happen at the University of Washington. Yep. But you know, I don't think this came from a, a selfish ambition to be great. This came from a heart to serve. Yeah. And that is why the Lord is lifting him up yes, to absolutely. do great. Yeah. He's drinking the cup of responsibility. Come on, Come on, if you look back in Matthew chapter 20, Jesus simply asked the question, can you drink the cup? Because he knows in just a few chapters, in just a few days, all of his disciples, the women, the men, and the apostles yeah. would completely abandon him. Yeah. So he had to ask the question. The second cup that we need to drink is the cup of rejection. You know, servants in their day were rejected by society. They were the bottom of society. These were the people that did the dirtiest jobs. And Jesus says, unless you become a servant, unless you become a slave, you will not do great things in the kingdom of God. We, as servants of Christ, need to make our best friend the towel. Our best friend needs to be the towel. We need to be known as servants. As those who've been called by Jesus to lay down our lives and serve those around us. Amen. 
you know we we do want to be great but often we want to do it without responsibility and without rejection and you need to be used to being a slave and to being rejected by society to be a great disciple of Jesus Christ and the question comes are you serving we think we're serving We think we're serving people. We think we're giving to people. We think we're being out of ourselves. We think our roommates like us and our landlord likes us. We think that we're serving. But the question isn't, do you think you're serving? Do the people you're serving feel like you're serving? You know, last night we went out to dinner with Lori and Peter, Courtney and I, and, you know, we were hanging out, having a good time, and, I mean, our server just forgot everything. (laughs) I mean, she messed up the drinks right off the bat, and we said, okay, man, we'll overlook it. Maybe, you know, we'll have the great run. She forgot the refills. She forgot to even put the order for Lori's meal in. I mean, she just completely forgot. She blanked. It was her last day on the job. Oh, and she said, you know what, tomorrow, or next week, I'm going to start working as a fifth grade teacher. I don't even really want to be here right now. Oh. And it was evident by her attitude. Oh it was evident by her heart to serve. Wow. And so wow. often, we don't give our hearts to serve those around us because we're checked out. Yeah. We're thinking about something else. Yeah. Rather than having the heart, to, uh, the heart of Jesus to just get down on our knees and serve those people in front of us. We need to ask ourselves, do we have the heart to serve? But of course, do those around us feel served by us? Look over in Galatians chapter 5. In Galatians 5, Paul touches on this as well. In verse 13, he says, You, my brothers, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge in the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. You know, it's not enough to just go through the motions and to take care of people. But Paul says, you've got to do it in love. You've got to take your freedom from Christ and in love serve those around us. Look over in Hebrews chapter 6. Come on, bro. Why do we not serve? Because we're afraid of rejection. It hurts when people don't show appreciation. It hurts when people don't show reciprocation. It hurts to feel rejected. And in Hebrews chapter 6, in verse 10, the writer of Hebrews says, God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you have shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help them. You know, the author right here gives us some great encouragement as he says, as you serve God's people, you serve God. And God will not forget your work, and God will not forget your love. Isn't that awesome? You know, Jesus, to the Pharisees in Matthew chapter 23, he's in the middle of rebuking them for everything they're doing wrong. And in verse 11, he says, the greatest among you will be your servants. And as disciples, that's the greatest title we can have. Yeah. Servants yeah. of the Lord and servants of each other. Come on. The third cup and the final cup of this morning, and you can study this out and come up with some, come up with some more. But the third cup that we need to be ready to drink is the cup of reward. Mm-hmm. You see, in Matthew chapter 20 and verse 26, Jesus says, Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. If you do this, you will be great. If you serve, you will be great. 
Can you drink that cup? You go, oh, I can drink that cup. I can drink that cup. I'm ready to be great. I'm ready to do great. You know, the reality is, guys, if we get close enough to the creator, we will start to think that we're something special. You are something special. But don't focus on it. Don't focus on it. You know, God's promises always come true. Every time. The Bible works. And the scriptures teach you will become great if you serve. You will become a greater person. You will become a greater employee. You will become a greater spouse. You will become a greater roommate. You will become a greater, a more successful student. You will get a greater job and have a greater income. Look at that tornado. That's kind of cool. Back to the scriptures. I should have told you earlier to imagine tornadoes. You know, the Bible says that you will be great. Can you drink that cup? You know, we think we can handle that. But some people can't handle it. They get prideful. They get prideful. They start to elbow God out of their lives. Their faith is no longer in God, but their faith is in themselves in their own skill and their own talents. That's why reward is a cup. You know, Jesus says that he would be lifted up to glory. And if we stay faithful, we will too. But this is why leaders fall away. Because leaders do great things, but they can fall away if they start to think that they're great. Can you handle the reward of greatness? Judas couldn't. Mm. Nebuchadnezzar couldn't. Samson couldn't. Solomon, Saul, so many New Testament heroes in the faith could not handle the cup of greatness. Could not handle the reward of God. You know, brothers and sisters, we need to humble ourselves to become great and then be humbled by the great. Giving glory to God in all that we do. Let's close in Genesis chapter 14. In Genesis chapter 14, Abraham does a great thing. He takes his army and he goes out and he rescues his nephew Lot from the enemy. And they get the plunder and they get the money and they get the food and life is good. And on their way back, kings are coming out to Abram. And they're saying, wow, great job. That was incredible. God is blessing you. And one man comes out. Comes out. His name's Melchizedek. And Melchizedek is the priest of the Lord Almighty from Salem, which would later be called Jerusalem. And he comes on out, and he tells Abram, "Blessed be Abram by God Most High, Creator of heaven and earth." And blessed be God most high, who delivered your enemies into your hands. At the end of verse 20, it says, Then Abram gave him a tenth of everything. You know, when Abram started to realize the greatness that God was lifting him up to, all he could do was give to God what was God's. He says, Wow, the kingdom is great. The promises of God are great. Serving God is great. All these blessings are great. But what good is it if I don't show my appreciation 
by giving 10% of all I have back to God. It's the least I can do. And truly, that's the heart of every disciple that is blessed by God. He says in verse 22, But Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have raised my hand to the Lord, God most high, creator of heaven and earth, and have taken an oath that I will accept nothing belonging to you, not even a thread or the thong of a sandal, so that you will never be able to say, I made Abram rich. I will accept nothing but what my men have eaten and the share that belongs to the men who went with me, to Aner, Eshkel, and Namr. Let them have their share. You know, in a very real way, we've been blessed by God. We don't need the blessings of men. We have been blessed by God. We have everything that we need right here in the kingdom of God, Philippians 4.19. We've been given everything that we need. We've got family. We've got friends. We've got shelter. We've got food. We need to now take that message, that good news, that gospel to the lost around us. We've been blessed by God. And we need to understand that God has blessed us in a great way. In fact, in chapter 15 and verse 1, it says, After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. The key verse right here is after this. After he had rescued his nephew, after he had served the lost, after he had done great, after the kings blessed him, after he gave a tent to the priest Melchizedek, after this, God spoke to him and said, I am your reward. Far too often, we look to material things for our reward. Far too often, we look to each other for a reward. We look to our jobs or our family, our loved ones for a reward. God says, I am your shield. I am your very great reward. Come on, bro. bro. Brothers and sisters, as we've been blessed by God, let us give to God what is God's. Amen. But also, let us remember what our reward really is. Right. And that is God himself. Make the request to be great in the kingdom of God. Amen. Amen.